Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. Dr. Cindy Banier here, congressional candidate for Florida District 19. I'm a mom and small business owner, and I'm fighting for our water, our health, and our community. And I am joining you here today from the comfort of my living room as I am still self-isolating to make sure that my youngest daughter, who is amongst the vulnerable, that some people in our country would rather just sacrifice to the economy. And we are staying home here to keep her safe. But I am still running my campaign and my business, and I am here to continue to spread the word about making change in our community here in Southwest Florida. As we have seen, this time here in 2020 has gone from being an incredibly difficult time with the coronavirus pandemic. We have seen the panic to a certain extent amongst us as we are looking at over a hundred thousand dead in the United States from the virus and the subsequent shuttering of most of our economy and activities around the country and how that has affected all of us. And that was the beginning of the year and it was surreal then uh, as it continues to be surreal to this day. We're looking at over 40 million Americans filing for unemployment over the past several weeks, and we're looking at an economy that's not nearly as stable or strong as we had once thought it was. We've seen the burden of this economic crisis from the fallout of the pandemic falling very specifically on people who had been parts of our economy that were often overlooked, you know, service industry folks, retailers. We've seen a cavalcade of businesses also looking to declare bankruptcy. And most notably here in Southwest Florida, Hertz rental car company filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy, which is likely to cause a significant amount of job loss to continue in our region. But we are now faced with a whole new set of crisis. Some are calling it the second virus that we are dealing with here in the United States. And that is the virus of racism. And this is something that we know has been around in our country uh, since its very inception. We talk about how the people who came and set up our national government were themselves immigrants who set up a land that had belonged to a lot of other nation states in terms of the indigenous folks here. And then they continued to bring over slave labor from Africa and other places around the world as well. But, uh, 
that had set up the dynamics for which we see here playing out uh, in continuation in our country. And the system of white supremacy that was embedded in our government still continues to affect us here today. And we have seen a significant amount of strife as related to it. And this pandemic has caused us to really, you know, see some of the fractures in our society that might have otherwise been uncovered or covered up when things were going well. We see um, black and brown people bear the burden of uh, higher rates of death uh, as a result of the coronavirus. And um, now as we have tensions rising across the country, we've had a spat of um, extra judicial killings and police brutality uh, that has resulted in the loss of life of members of our national community. We have incidences from the Breonna Taylor incident of um, police coming into her house with a no-knock warrant um, for somebody that they had actually arrested earlier that day and shot and killed her while she was asleep even though um, she wasn't even the one they were trying to serve the warrant on. Um, And that was uh, demonstrative of police brutality in Kentucky. We saw Ahmoud Aubrey, who was a young man on a regular jog through um, his neighborhood, who was hunted down and killed by uh, white men who thought he meant them harm and was trying to rob their neighborhood and he was killed in the streets there and that man almost got off without anybody being worried about it at all because um he had connections to the police uh department and the legal system uh in georgia and most recently we have seen uh george floyd who was um killed and murdered by a policeman in Minneapolis. And this seems to have been the straw that broke the camel's back. And now we are looking at widespread protests around the country in response to this, demanding an end to the systemic racism that plagues this country. And I um, have been dismayed, uh, distraught, upset, worried about it, as uh, many Americans have. And we um, are fortunate enough here to have uh, the opportunity to re-envision the communities the way that we want them to be. And that is why I have my guest here with us this evening. And I have Chantal Rhodes, uh, is here with us. Chantal, can you hear me? Hi, Cindy. Yes. Can you hear me? Oh, yes. Yes, I can hear you. Nice. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us here this evening. And thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, absolutely. I was just giving us a little lead up um, to what is going on here today um, in our community, uh, the response to what's going on. And I know that you've been Uh, involved in helping to organize people to express themselves around the importance of these issues and the things that are going on in our community. And before we jump into that, 
I want to give you a proper introduction of whom you are in our community <laughs> and how you and I have met um, each other. Right. So um, let me give a little lead on that. So um, Chantal is uh, uh, somebody who is a very dynamic person that I met um, through work in our community, uh, connecting particularly with um, the Quality Life Center here in Fort Myers. Um, and you know, she has been involved there helping young people in our community. And, um, you know, she is so energetic and so committed to helping our community. And we connected and we connected around the, the funniest of things and that we both shared <laughs> um, uh, a love for the world and connecting across cultures and had we had both spent time in Asia and China in particular. So, um that was a very uh, interesting way. And so I think we were very memorable right. to one another because of that Absolutely. shared experience. And, um, you know, but I, I, I so admired her work and, and, and what she's been doing to help our community. And, um, you know, I think that it's particularly admirable around uh, what's going on now. But before we jump into that, Chantal, just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what you've been doing in our community kind of leading up to where we are right now. Okay. And thank you for that. So basically I was born and raised here in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, and last year I returned uh, from living in China, like you mentioned, and, and I started to work at the quality life center. I was fortunate to join Mr. Muhammad and so many other uh, staff members who had been doing a great work in the community for quite some time, especially as it involves children, um, not just children, but their families as well. And recently uh, with the death of Mr. Floyd and us calling for the arrest of that officer, we have seen such great uh, support here locally in Fort Myers and people just wanting to get involved and demonstrate and express how they feel about this matter. So the past couple of days, I've been joining with random people, strangers. Uh, we met through Facebook, a couple of us, and we said, basically, let's get together. Let's organize. Let's choose a day. Let's choose a time and a place where we will invite others to join us to to, to peacefully protest. Yeah, that's so amazing and so needed. I know there was a lot of people locally here in Southwest Florida who were looking for, you know, some leadership to be able to express their grief uh, and their outrage um, and just kind of come right. together peacefully to express the desire for things to change. And so um, I think we appreciate you and uh, the others who had stepped up to fill that role. So why don't we, why don't you tell us how that, that came about? So how, how did you get into this space of um, helping to organize and coordinate um, these protests, these, you know, gatherings? So I attended a rally down at Centennial Park on Saturday. Uh, it was a nice group of us. The police was present uh, to help us. Um, and people started to say, okay, well, what's next? I don't necessarily know who put on the event on Saturday. There was, from my understanding, not a single organizer, but again, a group of people. And I got a friend request from someone named Nicole. And she, she had already established a peaceful protest group. And what I did was just started to add all of my friends from Facebook to this group. 
And before you knew it, this thing, it grew and turned into something else. And we all met uh, downtown on, on Sunday at the police department. And that's where we saw a, a gathering of about, I think the number was about 300 people, 300 participants or more gathered uh, as a result of Saturday's protest. So over du double the size of the first, uh, the first gathering on Saturday. Wow, that's really amazing. And I actually really love and appreciate um, you explaining how this came together organically. You just, somebody right. had started it and got you involved and then you were able to leverage your connections to, to get people to come uh, knowing that there was this need in the community. And, and, and I really, right. I really appreciate that because I know that that is the, the heart of these kind of grassroots types of organizing. Um, right. And, you know, I saw some of the pictures from it as well as, as you and I were talking prior to this. Um, I am staying home personally because I can't leave because of my daughter. But um, right. my heart is 100% with everybody out there. And I'm just doing what I can to help uh, spread the word and share the word. Yes. Um, and I saw and some of those photos. we definitely feel that. We feel your support, too. We appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I'm doing my best. I wish it could be more, but I'm trying. And I think that every effort that we make together to improve our community is going to matter. Um, and you're definitely doing the, the hard work of, of getting folks there and coordinating. And that's really important. Um, and so I want to talk uh, a little bit about some of the photos that I saw from the the, the protest that was last night that was Sunday evening here mm -hmm. and um, there was one in particular and I, I've seen it around the country as well where um, there were people who were lying face down on the ground and you were at the steps of the police station so can you tell me a little bit about what that the meaning of that and how that worked so basically lying down basically we we the, it, yesterday's event was a a prayer visual and we, we stood silently and many of us sat, some kneel silently for about nine minutes just to pay honor uh, to Mr. Floyd because approximately that's how long he was on the ground with a knee in his neck. Uh, and, and that's what it's about. That's the position that he was in and that's the position that protesters chose to take as a symbol, as a peaceful symbol, but a powerful symbol of, mm -hmm. of police brutality and what it is, it is meant for our nation, but even in our community right here in Fort Myers, where you will, you will listen to the residents and they will tell you that their encounters with police uh, have not always been, been pleasant. That's their, their children may live in fear. And so we're, we're, we're at a challenging time where we're trying to keep peace in the community, but we also want to tell the accurate and the real story, the ugly truth about police brutality. Wow. Yeah, you're right. It's such a, a powerful symbol. And to pair it with the time that um, Mr. Floyd had been under the knee of uh, the officer was very, very powerful statement. But I want to pick up on what you had just started talking about here, which is in our own community here. So can you share with me some things that you've heard from around the community in terms of uh, police brutality or some challenging relationships or relations that the 
the police department, the Fort Myers police or any of the other um, uh, offices around here have had with the community? Okay, so I think there's a general feeling of discomfort, of distrust when it comes to local police officers. I don't have any uh, specific examples. I know at our rally on Sunday, uh, several, a couple of the parents spoke out. Uh, one of the parents in particular, her son was murdered. Uh, and I don't think they found uh, her son, the, the, the murderer. And, you know, so you have all sorts of feelings. Uh, but in general, there is this distrust. And me personally, I don't buy into this narrative that all police are bad and F the police and, you know, all of this stuff. I don't personally believe that. However, I do think there has to be a reach from both sides, from the community as well as the officers. And so I personally asked uh, some of the officers from Fort Myers Police Department to join us in protest uh, to to demonstrate to community members that there there was a reach back there was there's us reaching towards them for unity and for answers and for support or just to say hey I see you and I recognize the pain that is happening in your community Uh, but those officers informed me that they discussed it amongst themselves and they decided to stay out of it altogether. In some cities, uh, I know Miami in particular was one of the ones where the officers, they took a knee. They were holding signs with protesters saying, hey, we are in this together. And I haven't heard anyone defend the actions of this officer by saying, hey, that was, yeah, that's, that, that was okay or that was just a mistake. Even Donald Trump made the statement that 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 did not look good. And not only did it not look good, that that should have been handled a totally different way. So what we're seeing now is a demonstration of outrage because too often we we get worked up, we riot, we take to the streets and then we are met with a a not guilty verdict. And that Mm -hmm. is what we are hoping does not happen in this case. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right to point that out because there are several parts to the system, right? There is the the accountability within the police department of what happens when their officers are engaging with the community. And then there is the political will around the state attorneys and whether or not they're going to charge and prosecute those officers. And um, that's where we get into the issues around uh, qualified immunity and actually how hard it is to keep uh, police officers accountable when they do act out of line, which uh, Derek mm-hmm. Chauvin is, was very clearly out of line, um, as were right. the other officers that were um, complicit in his actions. But it becomes increasingly difficult. Um, and we have a system, too, where the, the state attorneys, they, they want wins. And so they and, and they, right. they're often seen as on the same side as the police officers. So they don't want to disenfranchise essentially their route to the most wins. So we have a system that's kind of inherently um, built against uh, holding police officers accountable when they do act out of line. And I think that that ends up being a big part of what we're, you know, people are railing against at this point too. People are tired. People are absolutely tired. They are fed up with the stories with 
uh, how the story is told from start to finish. You know, I believe the first autopsy report uh, said that he, what, what he died from other causes, right? Uh, not associated with him basically being smothered to death. Mm-hmm. But there was a different report that said something totally different today. So it, it just creates, again, this distrust. Who can we trust? Who can we mm-hmm. count on? As far as our our government, our elected officials, as well as our our police departments, who can we count on to tell the truth about what happened and to and to hold up a standard of justice? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that here in Fort Myers, we've had a a lot of problematic incidences. And I think uh, mostly the the bulk of it seems to be around inaction when bad things happen in the black community. I know that there, um, I attended a community forum on the Fort Myers police department two years ago now, uh, specifically when the free report was coming out and, and they, the, we brought in chief Diggs and, you know, he had been on the job for mm-hmm. a while trying to, revamp the police department but in that forum i witnessed several people from the community come out and hold them accountable for the lack mm-hmm. of follow through when it comes to investigating um murders in the community and you know just doing that basic police work that they were supposed to you know be doing i mean i think that you know finding people um, and holding people accountable uh, through that quality police work has been an issue of concern in this community for sure. Um, And I remember the, the little boy, Andrew, um, who was shot. Andrew Foss. That's right. And um, that's still unsolved. Right. Right. From my understanding, uh, they they thought they had the person that did it, but it is it is an open case. It's just it hasn't been solved. That's correct. Yeah. So you know it's it's been a long time um, trying to reform the police department, and I know that within the the free report there was also instances of internal um, you know racial issues in the the Fort Myers Police Department. And, um, you know, I, I believe that there's been some progress made, but I think that there's continues uh, to be a need for reform, even here in Fort Myers. Um, I also yeah. remember um, a couple of years ago, it, as some of these, um, uh, the tensions were rising and there was some shootings in the community and actually very close to my house, um, I heard I heard I was sitting outside on my porch when I heard the shooting of um, the man who owned the the clothing store over off of Hanson. And um, Mm. that was, uh, you know, that was kind of attributed to this, you know, proto kind of gang activity. That case, I believe, Mm. is still open and unsolved. Um, But even prior to that, as some of those tensions were heating up, I remember that one of the discussions that was essentially kind of put out there by the police department was, well, let's just close off the roads through the Dunbar Mm -hmm. community and limit the uh, amount of entry and exit points. So we can kind of see how people are coming in and out and monitor it that. And I was Mm -hmm. completely horrified by that suggestion that the solution in their minds was to trap people inside of mm-hmm. a series of streets and, and, and have that be the way that they did their police work. And, you wow. know, it, 
it really wow, went I had against. No clue. Uh, yeah, that was that was a couple years ago. That was even before the the shooting off of Hanson. But um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it kind of really demonstrated to me the the mindset um, of the police. So it wasn't necessarily that they they hate or dislike the community, but their their idea was like let's just clamp down um, okay. to solve any of the issues. And for wow. me, that felt like a really bad approach you know this is america we deserve to to have freedom of movement um right. and-, and we deserve to have people uh in our community who can get to the root of the issue who right. can say okay are these people just what is it is it poverty is it a lack of education so we see that it is not just the job of the police and that's why we right. wanted to send a message of Let's this is our job to do together from the educators to the individuals to mothers and fathers. You know, it mm-hmm. starts with us. I told someone earlier it does start with us because um, at the protest we were met with, uh, you know, those who tried to challenge our message. Mm-hmm. But the question was, well, why isn't there this kind of an outrage when there is black on black crime? And I know that's how you know, a lot of people who are on the side of law enforcement feel. I've heard I've heard that said, like, why is it that you will rally and protest when an officer kills someone? And but we don't see that kind of an outcry within the communities when it comes to black on black crime. And so I think we have to even use this as an opportunity to take a look at ourselves, to take a look at how we function at while we simultaneously hold uh, our our leaders responsible hold police the police responsible for their end of the bargain. We can also make sure that we are organized and displaying unity among ourselves, starting with the individual, then branching out into the family, and then allowing that transformation to branch out into how we live our day to day lives within our communities. Yeah, and I I can appreciate your thoughts on that for sure because it is all of these things combined. It's a system, and that's why when we talk about systemic racism, it's not just that's not just the police department. It's a right. lot of things, and you know the Dunbar community in particular in Fort Myers has exemplified this throughout its history it being the original segregated part of town where um the black population wasn't uh, allowed free movement they had to be back across the tracks before sundown um and you know this has continued with the way that we've allowed housing opportunities across this area there are communities here to this day that say deed restricted on them (laughs) and that means and had meant no one of color was allowed to buy these houses and live here. Um, right. You know, and now it's, you know, and later on, once that became, you know, de facto or de jure illegal, uh, it became mm. a, a psychological impediment because there were ways around, even through the 80s and 90s here, where black families were not allowed to buy property in certain communities here. And this has continued. And I talk about it too from a structural perspective. This is where I've spent a lot of my work and time and focus in our community, um, looking at how the dynamics that we have play into some of these things. If we look at the community, 
community in Pine Manor. Pine Manor mm-hmm. is a food desert. It's one of the highest poverty areas um, in the community. And mm-hmm. they are totally cordoned off. There, I remember seeing a study a couple of years ago actually exalting Fort Myers as being economically integrated. And that had a lot to do with the physical proximity of Pine Manor to Whiskey Creek. What people don't know when they look at it is the, the, the physical and infrastructure separation between those two communities. Now, Whiskey Creek being the, you know, high middle, uh, upper middle class housing, it's got an eight foot cement wall. And on the other mm-hmm. side of Summerlin, which is uh, six lanes across going 50 miles an hour. And then mm-hmm. you get to the other side of it is that's where Pine Manor is physically, by the way, Whiskey Creek has no entry points onto Summerlin. Pine Manor has no entry points, has one entry point onto Summerlin, a main road. But also in between it is a giant drainage ditch uh, mm-hmm. that you can't get over. There's no way to get over the drainage ditch. So the, right. the people- so it's not, it's not like it's right next door. These are our neighbors. Right. They're not neighbors. They're not neighbors. They are within a half a mile, a quarter mile of each other, but they're not neighbors. Um, and so it's beguiling to a certain extent about these these income discrepancies and the poverty in our area. And, um, right. you know, it's crazy. And if we look at the Dunbar community, um, the there's some very interesting research that had been done um, across the United States, but that looked at poverty tracking since the early eighties. If we look at that in the Dunbar community, the chances of a woman being born in the Dunbar community, becoming Mm -hmm. a mother, a teen mother is 50%. That's astonishingly high. Right. But you can see how then that becomes the what takes people forward into that intergenerational poverty because everything that we right. know about teen moms you don't you're likely to not finish high school you're not likely not to get right. a post secondary degree you know and, and that then, means you're going to get a low what, what, what is what and then you have to examine the quality of the schools in that er- yep. in that area what are the teachers are do they truly care are they, they are they there just to pass time and babysit how are they dedicated and you have to look at all of these things and it continues this God awful cycle of defeat of oppression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it, it is oppression, and it's systemic oppression. And that's what you know. One of the things I've been trying to help educate people on is is this research that's there. The the other thing that came from that poverty study that was um, out of uh, Johns Hopkins University was the the social mobility factor and the fact that 30, I think it's like 36% of uh, the people who are born in the Dunbar area code never leave. <laughs> they never leave. 36%. So that, yeah. So that means, wow. and, it is, and it's not like that throughout the rest of the, the area. So in case anybody's wanting for comparison, it's, I mean, people have the ability, they're not usually typically born in the same zip code and live there their entire life, but that's really high in the Dunbar community. And it really, again, speaks to the oppression and the lack of opportunities that people have to, to get up and out. There is no bootstrap pulling when you live in a food desert and you have, like you said, 
educational options are limited. Transportation right. options are limited. There's a significant amount of teen mothers which have a significantly higher rate of poverty. Um, and it just beca- it just goes on and on. So it really, I think it becomes a, a really problematic situation where people do not see any future for themselves because because of what is there. And that can be incredibly hard on your heart. And, um, and so I, I mean, I feel, I feel that, I guess I, you know, um, I'm going to recognize my own privilege here and say, I just, I can, I I can feel it. I can see it. I see it. We appreciate that. Yeah. We appreciate that. And no, and you see more and more people saying, Hey, okay. I, I realize that I am speaking from a place of privilege and even myself compared to some of those people with the statistics you just highlighted, I would be considered uh, coming from a place of privilege compared to them. But I think that there is so much work for us to do. And I, I want us to use this as a time to not get weary. I know many of us are tired, um, but I would like for us to be use this as an opportunity to be rocketed and, and fueled so that we can go into the future with a fight in us unlike any other multiple forms of resistance. Some will take the streets to protest. Some will challenge legislation and and our lawmakers. Some will become lawmakers, Uh, you know? So we we have so many ways that we can get involved. And I just wanted, I I just, my message to people is to encourage them to, to, to find something to do in the resistance movement, find a role to play like yourself. So many people told us, well, I can't march with you all. It's just entirely too hot for my daughter, for my son. I cannot bring them out, but what can I do? And just that question alone is so powerful because you've broken down barriers just by acknowledging your own privilege and then saying, how can I serve this movement? How can I serve you all at this time? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I try to be. I want to be a servant leader to this community. Um, you know, I take what I've learned and what I've researched, um, and I will add on to it. I really believe in the participatory process of democracy and governance and community development, and I really want to see more of that. I really feel that um, to add to the oppression and the malaise that exists here is a tokenization a lot of times Mm. and not really a meaningful seat at the table. And that's something I would, I desperately want to see change in the processes that happen here in Fort Myers and Lee County and Collier County all across Southwest Florida. Likewise. Um, Because it's just, it's gotta be more than just, that one person who always shows up, you know, um, right. it's got to be broader. It's got to be community input um, has to for grow. everything. Absolutely. And it has to come out in our everyday lives as well. Mm-hmm. That, Cause that's the only way all these things that we just look at the gambit of things that we just, you know, we went from police brutality to education to, you know, food right. deserts I threw in there, but it, this is all housing. Part of it. Yeah. Housing. It, 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 it is all wrapped in there together. You have so many different issues and it's almost like it can be overwhelming. You know, people, uh, I think uh, I have conversations with people throughout the community and I do feel like there is this lack of confidence that they have when it comes to speaking out about the issues that, that pertain to them and their specific groups and their communities. And they are looking 
for leadership. They are looking for leadership in people like you. They are looking for leadership in people like myself, but they, they are saying this is our issue, but I don't know how to take my issue uh, before before the big dogs, before those who are in charge of, of making decisions. I don't even know where to start. And yeah. there is so much compassion to be had. You want to educate, but you also want to have compassion for them in the state that they're in before you try to correct them or tell them what they're doing wrong or what they need to do instead. You know, there, there are just so many ways to get involved. And I just want to encourage people to, to try not to get discouraged, you know, find somewhere yeah. and work it and, and, and be proud, be proud of your community and be, and be proud of the fight. Yeah, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with everything you just said. Actually, it's like, it's giving me this, this feeling to, to keep going in my heart. So I hope everybody right. felt that too, because, and I want to add on to it. Um, you know, the, structural racism, systemic racism was put in by the powerful. And in mm-hmm. our community and communities across the United States, this is white people. Okay. Dismantling mm-hmm. this is as much a white person's problem. I do not think that it's the necessity of the people who are oppressed and afflicted negatively by these systems to explain to us, the white people, what the mm-hmm. problem is necessarily. Absolutely. Like we want to listen, we want to understand, and we want to assist people to move forward towards the goals that they see for themselves and their community. But I, 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 I guess I'm not articulating it as great as I would want to, but I want to say that it's not their responsibility to tell us all the wrongs, I guess. We have to be a part of it. Like, why do we have to? Yeah, absolutely. Why are we pretending as if we don't know how we got to this point? Uh, There was a gentleman, he was a Trump supporter that was president at yesterday's rally. And that's basically the question that he had for me. He was saying, well, why, why do you have to look into the history of America why, why are you looking to the history to dictate how you move forward? And what I explained to him is that the history of America and oppression from the times of slavery to where we are here today in 2020, that matters. Because when we see situations where there's police brutality and there is very little outrage or outcry from those who are part of that system, that shows you that this is a, this is a pattern that needs to be disrupted but mm-hmm. we have to use history as a reference. We cannot act surprised when stuff like this happens in our mm-hmm. nation. You know, we are not that far removed from segregation. So <laughs> not here for sure. Exactly. 1999. So, the school so did not segregate till 1999. Yeah, he told me. He told me basically don't look at the history of America as it pertains to race relations, just start where we are in, in forge a new territory. And as we do that, history helps us understand how we even got to this point. So to your point about us not, we shouldn't have to explain right. to our oppressors why we feel oppressed. There, there has to be this, this understanding that, wait a minute, we, I may not be able to fully feel how you feel. I'll never be in your position. But I am not. I'm also not going to pretend like I don't know how we got here either. Mm-hmm. There you go. Right. We're not going to pretend like we don't understand it. 
That's, right. that's the problem. And I, I mean, this is, this is a burden of somebody, you know, in my career, I've worked, you know, to research with communities to try to, to try to understand issues and try to set goals for change. And that's been where a lot of my work has happened. It's happened in the Dunbar community. It's happened, you know, I did it in Heights and Naples and Immokalee Mm -hmm. all the way in the Hendry County. I, I love working and talking with people to listen to them and help them cast a vision for the future that they want for themselves, their families and their communities. But I, never agree with the the position that some people take is that you need you need to explain to me what everything is wrong and then I'll think about whether or not I get to fix it absolutely and that's the problem yeah because oftentimes they're not taken seriously and they don't even oftentimes sometimes people don't know how to define things we had we had we didn't even touch on mental health and what that trauma has done to our community so it is, it, it is, it, it seems quite overwhelming, but Cindy, I, I promise you, uh, you have my vote. We, we see that we have a champion in you and I just look forward to supporting you because like you said, it, it, we need assistance and support from all sides, from all walks of life. Every time, and I think <laughs> at one of the rallies, I think the number of white citizens outnumbered the black citizens. And so that is, yeah, Black Lives Matters on the shirts on in the signs of, of white people was something that, that I can say I'm def I was definitely proud of. I was definitely happy to see. That's good. You know, and I I think that we do have to come together in unity around it. Um, and we have to listen and have to guide, you know, and that's what I've been trying to do, guide that discussion. Because like you said, right. not everybody's going to be able to articulate it. And how can you, how can you articulate, you know, decades and decades and decades of policy that have right. kept you down? And how can you articulate every single interaction with a police officer that was negative? You can't even remember all of it a lot of Absolutely. times. It's just, it's just pervasively there. Um, and I think that what does help is telling these stories sometimes. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, the situation, the murder of George Floyd has gripped us. So is it was undeniable. We saw it. And a lot of people I think saw for maybe even the first time that there, there, there was no other question to it. There was no ability to say, well, he did this or he did that or, or where's the evidence or anything like that. Um, Because I think that there's a heck of a lot of people who don't understand these little jabs, these little racist barbs that a Mm -hmm. lot of black people experience very routinely. Um, Right. And I, I, I'll tell just a quick story. And then I want to ask you about the vision for the future. Oh, okay. but I, I, um, I have, uh, you know, I actually worked uh, putting together a series of roundtables a couple of years ago, right after the 2016 election, um, and convening different groups of people, conservatives, Republicans, you know, I had so women and uh, Latinx communities and black community folks coming together and, and just telling me what was going on and what they were thinking and about the divisiveness in their country. And I actually had a friend of mine who had participated. Um, he's well-known in our community. His name is Magic Benton. Um, uh, and he was a football player uh, mm-hmm. for the University of Miami. He's a wide receiver. You know, he's a very 
you know, well-respected person in our community. Um, he was a, you know, a hotshot football player guy, you know, but generally a nice guy. Never did anything to, to hurt anybody. Um, always smiling, always laughing, always happy um, mm-hmm. with everybody who met him. And he had told this story about how he would have like piles of hate mail coming to him as a, as a, as a university student playing football. Um, Wow. Just saying really negative things about him and, you know, every, you know, pejorative word that you can think of, just trying to knock him down from the position that he was in. And like I said, he was just, he was a football player, he was a football star. And it just, that really struck me as a story um, because people don't realize that he had this bag of, of letters, handwritten letters. It was the nineties. He's getting old now, but <laughs> you know, um, but handwritten letters about, of, of just nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. People took the time to write. Imagine what that letter. does to, imagine what that does to a person over time. Yeah. If it, if you may not even realize the effect that it has on your self-esteem going into the future and how you can even perpetuate that onto others. And, and it continues this vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, telling that story, these stories, all of them, every one that we can get out to folks helps to create that picture. Because I think some people, they don't, they don't even know that it, that happens. If you're a white person living in rural America, you don't have any um, friends who are black or from any different ethnicity than you are that's a, it's a hard thing to imagine that somebody would, you know, for instance, take the time to write a handwritten hate letter to you. But when, when we say that that happened, acknowledge that that happened, maybe we can make it more real and we can get more people on board with understanding it and acknowledging it. Um, And we don't have to have any more completely blatant incidences like the murder of George Floyd to galvanize us to action. Right. That's my hope. That's my hope, you know, um, but we'll keep working behind the scenes too. people like you who are stepping into a space of organizing. That's so important. Um, And I appreciate that. So I want to leave on a high note because I feel like we got into very heavy, heavy, heavy. And that's what, and and it's going to have, it's going to be that way. The conversation, and even right now, my mind is like going off and it it is not an easy topic to challenge, to, to take on. And, and it can get heavy, but there, there are, there are moments of, of light. Yeah. 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 And I know, and I admire your courage too, for, you know, speaking with me here for putting yourself out there to help coordinate and organize these protests. And it takes a lot of courage and energy. And I, and I admire that. I really do. Um, and I thank you for it. Um, but let's talk about the visioning in the future. So, because this is what I think we, we, you know, we can get down in the dirt. And like you said, it can get real. It, it, it's, it's heavy and it feels like there's no way out if we just right. look at all the stuff that's bad because there's, there's a lot. Let's talk about what we want to see that's good. So tell me what, what, what would you want to see moving forward? So what I want to see for our community moving forward is I want there to be a sense of, of sisterhood and brotherhood amongst ourselves and amongst our allies so that we can feel confident to proceed in the future, not just when it comes to challenging those in authority, 
because that that is not necessarily a part of the everyday process. We will challenge them. They'll there'll be city council meetings, there'll be opportunities to speak with the mayor, with other elected officials, but I really want us to get serious about how we conduct business amongst ourselves. So we're organizing, we're in the process of organizing uh, task force teams uh, and we will delegate. Some people will be uh, in charge of making sure that there is some sort of relationship, more positive relationship being formed between the police and citizens. We we are adamant about that and we will create a list of demands. But one of the ones that we're, the, the main thing that we're responding to now is police brutality. So the, the murder did not happen in our community, but the harassment happens every day. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are children who literally, they, they're not taught to see police officers as friends or police officers as people that will will help them if something goes wrong, or police officers as people that they can trust. So we want there to be peace in the community, but we realize that starts with building trust. And so we will continue to converse with the police department and let them know, hey, you have a, a department that is dedicated to community engagement, and we want to see more and more and more of that. And it's just an ongoing process. Yeah, things will will evolve over time. But I I truly look forward to to us having more unity among ourselves. Yeah, and I I think that that's absolutely, you're you're just spot on with the trust. (laughs) We have to build that trust um, and and make ways for it to happen. So, um, you know, I know that you're working on that too. um, And I think that that's a really important piece of work. So I really, I hope to support you in that. Um, My vision too, is to make sure that we do have that trust in the system, that we do have less uh, people being taken into custody that should never have been encountered by the police, that we have, you know, a more equitable system around criminal justice. So it's not, again, just poor black and brown people who are being sucked into the, you know, the education, the, the prison pipeline, so to speak. Right. Um, that's, that's part of this, my quest too. And my quest as a, as a, somebody who wants to be that servant leader to the community is to start to dismantle some of these things that we know, we know from data that these are happening and that we know with the data, there's a lived experience that happens to real people in our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And work towards it, you know? Um, And my role, my role has been that data person. (laughs) I've been doing that research and talking about it and talking about how 83% of white students graduate on time in Southwest Florida, but only 65% of black students do. And and I would love to use, I know that you said that because of your daughter and her health, you know, you can't get out among the people as you would like to, but I would like for some of the citizens to have an opportunity to meet you and speak with you about the issues. I don't know how we can set it up, but, but there must be a way because they need to know that there is someone that is going to be a champion for them. And I can, I, I can testify to, to, to your passion that you have for helping us, for helping our community. 
And so, yeah, we, we should organize something. Let's organize. There should be some sort of a some sort of a meet and greet. They need to know that that Cindy is in our corner and she's fighting for us. Well, I absolutely can do that. I have many many platforms to connect <laughs> with people because this is all I could do. But it's so important to me to 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 keep up the fight and to take the re- the the skills that I have, which are data analysis, you know, speaking out, um, and you know getting this issue out in front of the leaders. I've, I've built my career here in Southwest Florida on that. And I tell people I'm convening you to talk about this issue and then I'm going to put it in report and I'm going to put it in front of the officials and the organizations so that they can hear you. I help to help people to gather those thoughts and to put them into actionable items so that funders can fund them and, you know, officials and government people can, can do something about it. That's, that has been my passionate work for so long. And I really would love the opportunity to connect more with people on it because I think it's so important because it's not just only my ideas. It's, it's, I really want to bring that idea out of how we can move forward together. Um, And we, you know, need people like you. And I know that you're doing some coordination too with to build that trust with the police department. And that's really important work too. We need that space and I'm happy to help, um, help where I can with that as well. Absolutely. Well, we're in this together. This is our job to do together. And I appreciate you having me on and allowing me to be a part of this conversation. And I look forward to, to many more conversations with you in the future too. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. I'm glad you came on. I want to hear from you (laughs) because that's what matters is this connection and, you know, to also recognize and appreciate the efforts that you have. Um, And so before we leave here today, because we're going to we're going to get this out um, on the air to everybody um, across our podcast uh, broadcast stations. I know that there are uh, additional um, gatherings coming up. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? So as far as I'm concerned, I think people will gather every day for the rest of this week and perhaps next week as well. So tomorrow we will meet uh, between 5.30 and 6 at the Fort Myers Police Department, and we intend to march. We have a, a designated route. So we would ask that you join us tomorrow and, and follow the Lee County Peaceful Protest Group on Facebook and that is a good way to stay informed about all of the all of the gatherings and the rallies that are happening in our area. Great. So that was the Lee County Peaceful Protest Group on Facebook. Correct. Right? Okay, great. Cuz that was the next question. How do we get in touch? How do we how do we get involved? Um is there anything else that you want people to know or understand about the 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 protests that you're organizing? Again, what I want people to know and understand is that they have a responsibility in this. Their, 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 their role and responsibility may not be to assemble and to march and to yell and to protest, but everyone can find something to do. This is ours to do together. So I encourage you to show up, get involved, get connected, find out who your elected officials are. Find out who's running for these seats. Organize in your own backyard if you have to. Make sure that your youth are informed of of what's going on during these times and let's hold hands and let's push forward together. And I'm going to add in register to vote. 
and register for vote by mail, please. please Absolutely. Please. Register vote. to vote. Up and down, up and down, <laughs> because your local officials, city council, mayor is coming up. Uh, they affect you. Keep in mind that these people are the ones who are going to be, they're the ones that are building the budget for the police department. They're the ones that have the oversight for Fort Myers city is your city council right. and mayors and your county has jurisdiction over the, the, the sheriff's uh, office and, and, and all of the other things that happen in our county and everything. Like I just, I gave the example about the road. That is a county decision. So this right. matters. These, these smaller elections matter to us. So please, please register to vote. Please get out and vote. And listen, if you want to run for office, definitely call me. I will get you on board somewhere because we need you and your voice. Cindy, you are um, a hero. You, you're a jewel. <laughs> and I mean that. Well, I so appreciate that. Uh, and I'm a big fan of yours too. And thank you so much for coming uh, on with us on Tell Roads. Um, it's been amazing. And I'm looking forward to um, working together to make our community uh, even better than it is right now. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll, we will be in contact and let's, let's make some changes together. Let's create a Southwest Florida where the sun shines on everyone. Oh, my goodness. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, don't forget to check out my website, cindybanier.com. That's C-I-N-D-Y, B as in boy, A, N as in Nancy, Y-A-I, and I spell it so you can vote. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we'll see you here next time on Dr. Cindy Speaks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybanier.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanier.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Banier.